If you're not getting your needs met in a healthy way, I bet you know how you're getting them met. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Well, it's in an unhealthy way. Be sure to listen in to today's episode and find out how my guest tells you that you can use the Enneagram so that you can stop getting your needs met in unhealthy ways. You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Hey there, listeners. Tish from ShiningSelf.com and the Your Shining Self podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you want the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash episode 27. Hey there, listeners. As always, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm excited to have my guest, Jen Whitmer, with me. Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm excited to talk about self-awareness today. And we're also going to cover um, getting our needs met in met in unhealthy ways. And you're going to give me and my listeners some tools and ideas that we can use to become more aware of what we're doing and how to stop getting those needs met in unhealthy ways. So Jen, one of the tools that you use is what's called the Enneagram. Can you explain to not only my listeners, but me too, because I'm not familiar with this, what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the Enneagram is a personality framework. So I like to think about the Enneagram like a structure or a framework instead of just a typology, because it really allows of movement. So lots of people are familiar with other kinds of personality profiles like um, the DISC, Strength Finders, uh, Myers-Briggs. Those are all types of personality frameworks. And the way I like to describe the Enneagram is it's the foundational components of all of those other typologies because the Enneagram um, the Enneagram helps us understand our core motivations what needs are we trying to get met and what are the typical patterns we try to get those needs met in. And so if you're understanding why you're behaving in a certain way, you can then name it and go about making better choices to get your needs met. And so it divides people or sorts, not divides, sorts people into nine different categories and also explains how those different people move in times of stress or security and health and unhealth. So it's not just like, oh, you're a type, and it does them my numbers, you're a type one, so you're always like this. It has a lot of movement for people because we're human and we're dynamic and we change. So it, uh, it helps us really discover who we are in all kinds of different arenas and spaces. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you know what I'm going to be Googling as soon as we're done with this? I'm going to be, I'm going to be Googling Enneagram because I'm interested (laughs) in learning more about it now. So I'm curious, how did you get involved in working with the Enneagram? Yeah, it's a great question. So I began my career as an educator. And then um, I was even in college in leadership programs and always loved 
the self-awareness resources of how I think is different than how you think. And that kind of blows your mind as an 18 year old. You're like, oh my gosh, this is so different. And um, so in our education courses and leadership courses, we had to learn how different kids see things differently and how to help them adjust to our curriculum and help them learn in the way they learn best. And then as I moved through my career, I became an administrator and really helping teachers do that same function, that learning how you operate and how your team operates. And then when I left the world of education, I decided, and I had had some work in the Enneagram and I had my own kind of personal study, but I found in some really difficult circumstances in my last uh, career how the Enneagram helped me individually kind of stand my own ground, be really healthy in difficult, rough circumstances. And so I wanted to help other people because I always kind of joke that once you're a teacher, you're, you're always a teacher. You always want to help other people <laughs> learn something. And so, and also being a teacher forever, a learner. So I went and got certified <laughs> and went into studying how that works. And uh, so that's why I ended up with the Enneagram because I found it to be something personally so helpful in some really rough circumstances. And I've seen my own personal growth and other friends of mine who've used it as a great tool uh, to just improve how we are functioning in our daily lives. I was giggling as you were mentioning, you know, how you used to be a teacher and once a teacher, always a teacher, always learning. And I have a couple friends who are teachers and they say the same exact thing. So that's why I was oh, yeah. giggling because I was like, <laughs> that is so common because I've heard it before. <laughs> oh yes. It's something that is, in us. And it's almost like, as soon as I learn something, I want to tell somebody else about it. I want to teach you this exciting thing that I've learned. And so it's, I have to rein it in sometimes because I get a little excited and not everybody wants to learn all the things that I wanted to learn. <laughs> so I've had to learn that. I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of us because we do get excited about what we're doing and we want everybody to know about it, but you're absolutely right. Not everybody is wanting to know about it or ready at that moment to learn about it. Yes. That's so, a really key piece that you, sometimes people get down on themselves. They're like, Oh, I've heard this before. Why didn't I do that then? Well, you weren't ready and that's okay. And so I think that's an important point to make. Absolutely. Um, so Jen, let's move the conversation into self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Can you give um, I know most people have a general idea of what self-awareness is, but when you're talking about self-awareness and as our conversation moves forward, just let my listeners know what exactly do you mean when you're talking about self-awareness? Yeah, I, when I'm talking about self-awareness, I'm talking about understanding how you see information, how you take in information, how you interpret information, and then how you process that information and then express that. So we all have different motivations that are underneath all of those things and everybody is approaching it differently. So understanding yourself first and how you see the world how you, um, what is motivating you in the world, and then how you tend to respond in into stimulus is what I think of when I'm talking about self-awareness. Great. Thank you for that. So let's go ahead and 
let's move the conversation into talking more about that and how, so for me, I'll use me as an example because I always do, as um, an alcoholic who has been sober for six years now, I used to, you know, obviously use alcohol to numb myself so that I didn't have to, um, you know, deal with life and things that had happened in my past. That's how I was dealing with them was, you know, um, numbing those feelings. So nothing changed until I hit rock bottom and was willing to admit one, I'm an alcoholic and two, I don't want to live like this anymore. So as soon as I became aware that what I was doing was no longer working, you know, I was willing to take the steps that needed to be done to start changing my life. So when it comes to self-awareness and, you know, we have to discover some truths about ourselves and get really honest with ourselves, um, how does, I don't even know how I'm trying to word this, um, how does like self-awareness come into, I guess, it doesn't have to be alcohol. It can be whatever situation somebody's going through mm-hmm. right now. Um, how can they use self-awareness to, I guess, move through the situation that they're in to, I got, oh my gosh, I'm so, I don't know how, I know in my head what I'm trying to say and I don't know how to word it. Um, <laughs> Do you want me to take a stab at what I understand? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. So you. I think what you're asking is how do you use self-awareness to improve your life situation and yourself? Is that yes. kind of where you're going? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's a great question. And I think one of the things that I say a lot um, in, in all kinds of circumstances is that you can only, first of all, you can only work on yourself. You can't work on other people. You can only work on yourself because you can't expect other people to change because you've just asked them. You don't have control over them. You only have control over yourself. And then secondly, we can only address what we first acknowledge is there. So if you aren't aware of what's happening in your motivations and in your behavior, then you can't fix it. If you can't, if you don't know it's there, if you're blind to it, um, and sometimes you are genuinely blind and there's a blind spot. And that's why friends and tools like the Enneagram are really helpful in discovering blind spots. And sometimes you have patterns that you don't want to acknowledge. So that's the next step in self, or the first step in self-awareness is really acknowledging the things that you know are problematic for you. And taking that self-awareness and then saying, okay, what is the problematic behavior and why am I doing it? And kind of digging down to what's the story I'm telling myself when that happens. And you have to kind of dig through a little bit, but you first have to know that that behavior is happening and be brave enough to label it that, uh, you know, like you can go all the way from being an alcoholic where this is, you know, you're abusing something that's harming you. Or something super simple like, I am a constant interrupter in meetings, and it disrupts my team all the time. I mean, there's a range here of behaviors of self-awareness, and, but all of it has the same process of acknowledging and naming the behavior, and then trying to understand in addressing it, why am I doing that? That's really good. And I'm glad that you read between the lines of what I was trying to say and could <laughs> decipher all that. Um, yeah. So, and again, 
I know for me personally, um, when I had to do the inner work to work on, you know, the, um, the problematic behaviors so that I could understand why I was doing them, I wasn't always very self-compassionate. So if I have a listener that mm. is listening right now yeah. and they are, you know, going through something, and like you said, it doesn't have to be something as severe as my alcoholism. It could be, you know, the example like you used being an interrupter, which by the way, I am too, but I like to oh, talk. hundred <laughs> percent. As I just did. <laughs> yep. So, um, do you have any tips for how they can, you know, work on this whole self-awareness while also being self-compassionate? Because I think that is so important. Absolutely. Um, I always hold intention. The best way to grow is that you have to be ruthlessly honest and generously self-compassionate. Those two things have to play together. So you have to be ruthlessly honest about this is what is happening and this is what I am doing and how it's impacting people and generously self-compassionate that you are working on it, that you would not be demanding of others in this way. You wouldn't speak to a child in this way. You cannot speak to yourself in a way that is harsh and combative. And we, we often do. And so if you catch yourself doing that, in the honesty, remember that compassion means kind of co-laboring with somebody. So you are co-laboring with empathy with yourself. And that's an incredibly important piece. And all the brain research and all the things out there show us that when people deal with their emotions they're, um, in learning, if we make sure that people are safe in their learning, so if you think of school, a safe learning environment, the same thing goes when you're working on yourself and doing inner work. If you have to be safe with yourself, and if you can't be safe with yourself, you have to change the way you're talking to yourself. Instead of, I should have known that, say, you know what, I didn't, but now I do. And now I can do differently. And that compassion for yourself is that you are on a track of growth rather than there is a destination that I should already be at. And that's where that compassion comes in. Because if you can't be compassionate with yourself, you don't have a safe learning environment to do some of that inner work that is required from that ruthless self-honesty. So they have to play together, ruthless self-honesty and generous self-compassion. Oh my gosh, I love that. And as you were talking, I wrote down, be safe with yourself and like underlined it and put a gazillion exclamation points <laughs> um, because that is so true. And I loved the whole, um, you know, like the example that you gave about changing the way that you're talking to yourself about, you know, I should have whatever. Mm -hmm. I had to do that too, because I, it was always, well, you should have done this or you should have done that. Should, 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 should. And mm -hmm. it got to the point where I was like, I am shooting all over myself. <laughs> and right. um, that's like one of my favorite things that my business coach, you know, talks about now is stop shooting on yourself. Because I think that's something that I don't know that I want to say it, it's a fault, but I think so many of us, I know for me again, personally, the way that I can talk to myself, I would never in a million years dream of talking to somebody else the way I can talk to myself. Yeah. Um, so just that 
man, you know, changing the way that you're talking to yourself and that train of thought. I think that that was a really key point that you had mentioned. So I wanted to touch on that. Um, And I feel kind of like my conversation and my questions are going all over the place. So I want to apologize to you and to my listeners and just let (laughs) everybody know I'm having some self-compassion with myself right now. I've been feeling off today and I did not want to cancel the interview. So thanks Jen for, you know, dealing with my being all over the place and thanks listeners for sticking with us. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I really love about um, being compassionate with yourself and a way to do that is thinking about yourself as an observer rather than a judge. So if you can put yourself in the position of observing yourself and tools like the Enneagram, that's what I love about the Enneagram as well, is it's kind of this, this, it judges and reflects, it reflects and observes your inner world rather than judging your inner world and when you're being compassionate with yourself and safe with yourself observing yourself and going hmm how's that working this is what I'm doing rather than oh I can't believe this is happening like you said you can be really harsh with yourself so if you can switch yourself like take off the robe you put down the gavel and just go to the gallery and observe what's happening that really helps you change how you think about what's happening to you. Oh my gosh. I love that. Um, that was kind of like just a whole light bulb moment that went off in my head. What a great way to, you know, like you said, just change that whole, um, thinking and to be compassionate with yourself. I love that. So Jen, let's pop back to the Enneagram for a minute. Do you have, because like I said, I'm going to be Googling it because I wasn't familiar (laughs) with it. Do you have a resource or anything that you would recommend that um, my listeners check out to learn more about that? I have a ton of resources on my own website. So I do a lot of writing about the Enneagram and how the Enneagram functions in your life and helps you with self-awareness. I have a free resource on my website that kind of just explains, I like to call it, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Why do I keep doing this? Um, It explains what the Enneagram is and kind of how it's structured. And it gives a brief description of the nine types. And that can get people started. It's just a, like a four page little e-booklet that can get people going. Cause sometimes a whole book can be a little overwhelming. So it's just a short little e-booklet about what is the Enneagram and why do I keep doing the same thing again and again? Um, so that's one resource. And, and then where another they, resource. Where can they find that at? Yeah. So Jen Whitmer dot com slash Enneagram. So I spell my name with two N's and Enneagram is E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So jenwhitmer.com slash Enneagram. And and that's right on the, it's right there. And there's also, because I'm an Enneagram coach, there's some consultations and um, other options for you for coaching. I have some free options. And, but I think a great, a great start is just that little ebook. Like like I said, it's only four pages. It kind of describes things doesn't take long to read. Um, Once you've gotten into that, coaching is a great option or other people really like to keep learning on their own. And a great book, I think my favorite primer on um, the Enneagram and how to start applying it in your life and discovering 
your type is called The Road Back to You. And it's by Suzanne Stabile and Ian Morgan Cron. And it's this little yellow book. It's probably a hundred pages and um, it's got lots of lists. It's got um, pretty short paragraphs. So it's a great like, oh, let me think about that. And um, so I think those are two great starter resources as people are kind of discovering the Enneagram and taking some time to discover what it's about. I would, there are lots of tests out there. I don't love the tests because the tests require you to really be self-aware. <laughs> and if you're, you haven't had a lot of practice in self-awareness and the, why am I doing what I'm doing? The tests can mistype you pretty easily. So that's why I like the, the reading and the list because you have to kind of ponder and discover. And it takes people over time, like you're not working on it for six months, but it can take people six months, a year to kind of just observe themselves and try on different types and see what they think until they really land on. This really feels like me. Some people read the description. are like, Oh my gosh, that's me. How did you know me? You just read my mail, <laughs> but other people take longer. And uh, so I just want to, you know, make sure people know that as they're discovering the Enneagram, it's not, um, it's not a quick fix. It's not like, oh, I'm going to discover this tool and it's going to tell me exactly what to do. It's definitely a lifelong learning process and using it as a wisdom tool in your life. And it kind of grows with you. Excellent. And I'll make sure that I include those links in the show notes so that um, listeners can go get those. I'm going to definitely be grabbing um, the resource on your website so that I can learn more about it. And Jen, this has been really good conversation despite me being all over the place. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) we could sit and talk forever about this because I think to go from like live, just living a surviving life to thriving, I think we have to become self-aware of things that we're doing um, to be able to move into, you know, living our best lives and being the best versions of ourselves. So I love everything that we have talked about. Is there anything like one to three tips or just a last parting thought that you want my listeners to know before we end the call today? Hmm. Tips or parting thoughts. Um, hmm. I would say that understanding why you're doing what you're doing can be one of the most healthy discoveries you can ever make because then you are acting on right information. So digging into either using the Enneagram, getting a coach or reading about it, or just asking yourself the question, why am I doing this right now? Am I trying to escape something? Am I trying to deal with some anger? Am I, I'm trying to deal with some shame? Am I afraid? Asking yourself those questions about why is probably the best thing you can do for the health of your life, because then you can choose different choices that actually address the need that you have. So we talk about making healthy and unhealthy choices to get your needs met. You have to know what the need is is that you're trying to get met. So I think that's my best tip. And I think that's an awesome tip. Thank you for sharing that. So thank you so much for taking the time out of your day today. 
Um, listeners, as always, thank you for being here. Jen, it's been such a pleasure, and I just want to say thank you again. Thank you. It was lovely to talk with you. Hey there, listeners. Tish from ShiningSelf.com and the Your Shining Self podcast. As always, thanks for listening. And if you want the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash episode 27. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.